I love the holiday season, and it all starts with Thanksgiving. And that should be an attitude of our hearts all year, giving thanks to God. Thank you for uh, helping us to get, get started on the right way, choir and ensemble. The, st- the spiral book told the story from prairie gopher to embassy diplomat. You know this man, this family. The immigrant family from Ukraine homesteaded a 320-acre farm in Montana and with a Bible-believing mother that said, we're going to Sabbath school, and a hard-working father who said, your mom's right, do what she said. <laughs> Larry Panasuk and his six siblings, one, by the way, a twin brother, They were prepared for life and for service for God. It's a faith-building story. I've enjoyed reading. I'm not finished, but I've read a good portion of it. And I especially love the, the pictures, the story of Larry, his upbringing, his love for God, his love for the soil, his amazing wife, and the life that carried him around the world as an embassy diplomat for the United States Department of Agriculture. When you read his story, when you look at the photographs, you, keep, you come to a deeper understanding of one man and his unswerving faith in God and the way he integrated that faith and trust in God into everything he did in this world and for this world. Really, that's what the Apostle Paul is doing in our chapter that we study today, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It's, I mean, 15. It's his sort of final instruction to the church in Corinth. And it's sort of like an album. An album of, well, explaining how this family, the family of God, came to birth and this new experience. And Paul, in this story, the story of faith, the family of God, he even includes his part in the story as sort of an addendum. The last of all, another photograph, another life rearranged by the life changer, Jesus Christ. Today we'll be looking at this chapter, chapter number 15, And it's our second to the last study in 1 Corinthians that's taken us all this year, 2019. We've been here in this book, an 11-month journey with Paul. And here now, he gives us a slice in chapter 15 of a much bigger story that includes 66 books, actually. And it is the centerpiece now of the hope of a life that is new in Jesus Christ through his resurrection and the hope that he gives us. As with other issues that Paul addresses here in 1 Corinthians, um, there were some there in that church that uh, had taken a different opinion. They had issues with this truth, Jesus' resurrection. Some refused to credit Jesus with that event. You can see it in verse number 12 of chapter number 15 where he says, Paul says, 
how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? Some were saying that. But there's a much bigger reason why Paul dives into this reality and gives it such a special treatment and really focuses in as his final theme in this book, the culmination of this letter. We've seen, as we've studied this book through this year, that Paul's been trying to get them to see who they are and where they are in this big, bigger picture of God. How they fit into this story, the story of God. The whole Bible is that story, but Paul explodes one particular part of it here in this chapter. The most important truth, Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And if Corinth, he thinks, as I put it together, if Corinth gets right how they belong to this story, the story of God, it can help them to understand where they belong and how they should act. So many things that have troubled them that we've looked at all through this year, so many challenges that they've faced have have sort of knocked them off the track. But if they could get this, if they could see this correctly, it would certainly straighten out their way. For example, Paul's discussion about sexual immorality in chapter number six that we spoke about months ago. Um, You maybe recall Paul's words there when he said that God had bought them through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And if they could see that they were a purchased possession, and not only that, but their life extended beyond this life to new life, to eternal life, they could see how to treat their bodies. They could see how their behavior was so important. And they could see that their, their life matters and, and will extend on for eternity. Or think of Paul's words to the, to the church in Corinth in, about the Lord's Supper, communion service. We looked at that in chapter number 11 when we had communion this fall. And he, he talked about how um, Jesus' body and blood was symbolized through those emblems. And that, that service itself not only looks back on Christ's sacrifice, but because of his resurrection, looks forward for forever and life together with God. And then we just studied, spent three weeks on the beautiful chapter, chapter number 13 in Corinthians, and how love is the deepest of all, the the most important of all, but how that truth about God and love extends not just in this life, but on for forever. Other things may pass away, he said, but love is forever. In all this, he's trying to teach them that Jesus' resurrection launches them into a new life and God has called them into this new life. Paul wants to make sure that Christ's resurrection and because of that, our own resurrection is a rock-bottom reality of their experience in Christ. I think it's a lesson we need to learn as well today. Let's look at a few verses. Verses 1 to 8, they read, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. 
For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, and after that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one, as to one abnormally born. It's sort of like, if I could say, a picture album (laughs) that Paul shares with the church in Corinth. Here are the snapshots that he repeats. Christ, the Messiah, God in human flesh, came to earth, was shamefully treated, and died on the cross, but his death was a substitutionary death, a death for our sins. He was buried, but that wasn't the end of him. He, he was resurrected on the third day, and people saw him as proof that he w- had come back to life. Peter saw him. The twelve saw him. Over 500 saw him. James, Jesus' own brother, saw him. And then at the end of the story, as As if someone born too late, Paul says, I myself have seen him. I have witnessed. It's not something that Paul dreamed up. It's not some hope that he has. Paul himself and hundreds of others were a part of this story, the the same story, and they had seen him. And if we were to put ourselves in a court of law, say, for example, and each one of these 500 plus witnesses were called to the stand to testify and given just a few minutes each we'd have a court session that would last for weeks long we'd be there for hundreds of hours as we hear heard these eyewitness stories of Jesus resurrection and it all happened as Paul said according to the Bible according to the scripture dozens of Old Testament scriptures passages had predicted this. Paul doesn't mention them, but he refers to them with this verse, that the Messiah, indeed, according to God's plan, Jesus Christ would die for our sins, that he would rise again and offer forgiveness and new life and eternal security. And that hope and promise is in God's word from beginning to end. And it all happened according to the Bible. The Bible Paul had known, the Bible that he had understood as a young man, was a bit different story than this, at least in his recollection. But the Bible, as Paul understood it now, told a a new story that Jesus Christ would raise from the dead and that He was going to offer salvation to us all. And this is a story that all 66 books in God's Word tell. And that's the entire scope of it. But here in Corinthians chapter 15, Paul focuses in on the good news, the good news of Jesus Christ, that He died, that He rose again, that He ascended to heaven, that He was reinstated in heaven as ruler and king with God and mediator until His return. And it all reminds us that God has an ending. He's planned the finish. And it gives reason and momentum and purpose to the whole thing. 
This was Paul's message that he announced. Everywhere he went, in Corinth, in Ephesus, in Philippi, Jesus Christ is risen. It was a message that, that carried power, that brought people, that by the Spirit of God, through knowledge of his word and his power working in their life, new life happened. Early Christian records tell us that this became the common theme of churches. That when they would meet together, they would greet each other with this greeting. Christ is risen. And then they would respond, He is risen and did. Indeed. Shall we try it, huh? Christ is risen. That's not bad. Let's try it again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That joyful, triumphant greeting was heard in the streets of Jerusalem, in the streets of Philippi, and in Ephesus, and everywhere as believers saw one another. They would say, Christ is risen. That's good. (laughs) Here in Walla Walla, that's what we should say. Yes, it includes the certainty of this story that, that gives faith and energy to all these things. It's good news. It's good news that's happened everywhere for us. An event that all of us can rejoice in. And believing it, living by it, thanking God for it, everything is different. Isn't that true? Life is different because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Those words... Those words put a song in people's hearts. Those words brought courage through suffering. Those words sustained Christian martyrs through persecution and even into death. Those words, those words, Christ is risen. Those words have changed people's lives. They've changed my life almost 50 years ago now. In a little Baptist church, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. That's good news. That is good news. And Paul now uh, focuses in on this. Unfortunately, it's the case that just as in Corinth, so too through history, people have tried to sort of refashion and reinvent Christianity into something quite different than what it really, really is. Through history, people have tried to say that the claim of Jesus' disciples that he rose from the dead, that he was resurrected, it didn't really happen, they say. It just points to a, a deeper existential truth. That's what some people are saying today. It just means that the cause that they have stood for, the disciples stood for, is not over yet. Jesus may have died, but he was Lord and teacher and They wanted to live their life according to his teachings. And by that claim, these remakers of history, well, they say, well, he really didn't raise from the dead. The church was just giving itself a reason to continue. Now, that may be a reasonable assumption for some people, but those people think of Christianity as really nothing more than just a bunch of ethical commands. Or those people think of Jesus as just being a great teacher, a guru among others, teaching us a way to God, just one way, and you can choose that way, 
if you wish. There are some people who want Christianity just to be that way, just a good way, not the way, not the truth, not the life, because it's much less exclusive that way. But they say, they say, we can't say the resurrection happened because that would make Christianity different from all the other faiths. (laughs) That's true. Christianity is different from all the other faiths. And the good news is, as Paul announced to the church in Corinth, and everywhere he preached, including Walla Walla, November 16, 2019, that Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the anointed of God. Jesus is the world's only true Savior. Jesus is Lord and King, which means that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. And this king would trump Caesar and every other Caesar that's come after and before whom every knee would bow and every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. And this is evidence that, that Jesus' resurrection brings. And this is what Paul means when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? What Paul is saying is that it isn't just that Jesus is Messiah and that he has been raised from the dead, but we know that he is Messiah and he has been announced as such because he has been raised from the dead. It is his resurrection that proves that. It is his resurrection that changes everything. It's the only thing, it's the only thing that makes the crucifixion anything other than a horrible end to another failed Messiah. And there were plenty of Messiahs, would-be Messiahs. So Paul says, if Christ wasn't resurrected, then, then Christianity is just a farce. That's what he says in verses 12 to 19. He says, if Christ isn't resurrected, we're, we're false witnesses. If Christ isn't re- resurrected, our, our faith is futile. If Christ isn't resurrected, there is no forgiveness for our sins. If he is not resurrected, those who have died are gone and lost forever. If he's not resurrected... It's worthless to live the Christian life. But if Christ has been resurrected, if he has been resurrected, if he has been raised, then the power of death has been broken. And the final victory, our final victory, is guaranteed. That's what Paul says. And if death has been defeated then that means sin has been defeated. And because, well, death is the result of sin. It's a result of our our turning away from God to our, our own way. But with Jesus' resurrection, a whole new world has opened up. It's now an all embracing, overwhelming power that even conquers sin and even death even those have been broken by Jesus Christ. 
their dominance has been bridled. It's been defeated. Yes, yeah, we're still suffering. There's still death. There's de- still decay. There's still corruption. It mocks us here on planet Earth for a while. But it is true that with every diagnosis we receive, every pain and, and heartache, every sickness, it feels like we are beaten. But there's a new hope. There's a way to a life that's greater, more powerful, more beautiful, more full. And it's because of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection is our hope. And Paul says, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. That's what it means. Verse number 19, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul says, and he develops that in the verses that follow. And, but his point is clear. If we misunderstand this point, we, we get it wrong because all these challenges we face, the misunderstanding, the prejudice, the struggling, the persecution, if that's all there is to Christianity, if, just, if it's just this challenging life and that's all, he says it'd be better to throw in the towel now and to adopt some other way that's easier. He says, verse 32, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we will die. If you get rid of the resurrection, it's like cutting the branch off that you're sitting. It's like cutting down the tree trunk. But with the resurrection, you have an entire paradigm shift. You have a a life-compelling truth that demands my focus, that deserves everything that I am, everything that I have. The resurrection is the centerpiece of our hope, the foundation of our faith. That's what Paul says in these, in these words. Another truth he brings out in the verses to follow have to do with his reign, his ruling, and the first fruits of, of his work. You know, in the Kinney home, Friday is a day about putting things back into order. Maybe it's that way in your house too. On Friday, the house is ordered up. It's cleaned up. On Friday, the yard is ordered up. I'm so glad for this time of year when there's not much ordering that needs to happen out there. (laughs) On Friday, the magazines are ordered up. The newspapers are ordered up. The clothes are ordered up. You know what I mean by that, huh? After a week of chaotic, hectic disorder, Things are put back into order. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, that's, that, that's exactly what Jesus' resurrection did. It put everything back in order. You know, we had made it a mess. We had made it a mess. But Jesus Christ, the one who was fully human and fully God, the one who would get the world out of this mess, came. That's what Paul says. Now the Jews in Jesus' day knew that something like this was going to happen, but they thought it would happen in a completely different way. They thought that God would send a conquering king, the Messiah, and this king would defeat their enemies, 
and all those who had oppressed God's people and restore his people, Israel, to their kingdom and then rule here on earth in a place of glory. Well, that's what they thought. They didn't know exactly how it would be fulfilled, but they knew it would happen because God said it would. But what Paul realized, and he didn't realize this until he met Jesus, is that when the resurrection happened, that's when everything happened and everything was reordered. The cosmos was brought back into order at Jesus' resurrection. And it wasn't anything like Paul imagined it would be. Instead of God's kingdom and his people being restored at the end of time, at the end of history, one person came in the middle of history and restored it. Jesus Christ. He says in verse 23, but each in turn, Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. That word first fruits is a very important word. It talks about the offering of the wave sheaf that was given, that was brought into the temple and presented there as the first harvest of the future harvest. It represented that which would come soon. Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits. That's what Paul says. His resurrection was a pledge. His resurrection was the guarantee of my resurrection, of your resurrection, of the complete restoration of God's people. That's what Jesus' resurrection was. And Paul talks about that in other places, like, for example, 1 Thessalonians 4, when he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Because Jesus died and rose again, Jesus' resurrection proves and shows that he is the resurrection and the life. Jesus didn't have life. He was the source of life. He is the only one who was able to grant eternal life. When the resurrected Jesus met John on the Isle of Patmos, he said to him, I am he who lives. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Christ has the keys. He's in charge. He's in control. He rules and manages everything in the universe, including the grave. Satan may still be bringing pain and destruction, but Jesus' resurrection is the assurance that our victory is sure. Imagine... Imagine, if you would, for the final point that Paul talks about in this chapter, imagine yourself standing in a car showroom. I know it's a little peculiar right now in in this place, but not only in the car showroom, but in this place 100 years from now, okay? 100 years from now, you're in a showroom, and um, you've read an advertisement that's brought you here because there's a car here that will be completely different. So, um, it looks pretty much the same when you look at this car. But what's really different about it is its engine. It's got an engine in it 
that has nothing to do with oil, nothing to do with gas, nothing to do with diesel, nothing to do with electricity. It's clean. It's safe. It has a limitless supply, and the engine will never wear out, and the car is going to last forever. Now, that's quite a car. Now, it, it looks pretty much the same, but it's totally, totally different. Of course, I'm talking a fantasy here with you now, but that's the point of the last verses of First Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, what kind of a body are we going to receive? What, what kind of a body will the resurrection produce? What will it run on? <laughs> he says, what's it going to run on? And so Paul gets to the heart of the matter, verses 42 to 44. He says, so will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. That's quite a comparison. That's quite a comparison Paul is, is matching up. Two different bodies. A natural body, a spiritual body. It's more than the difference that I've just given you of two different cars. In this body of cells and lungs and heart and organs and things that keep running as a matter of course, this is the natural body. But Paul says, not then. It's going to be a spiritual body. When the Spirit of God recreates this new body, it's going to be completely different. He's not going to use any parts from the old except for one. And that's not even a part, actually a physical part. But it is my character. He'll use that. And it's, it'll be a, not just an engine that lasts forever. It'll be a body that lasts forever. Our bodies will know no decay. They'll know no frailty. They'll know no disease. Right now, my body creaks a bit. <laughs> it's stiff and sagging and it's soon going to die. <laughs> but the new body that God gives me, it's not going to do any of that. None of that. Paul says it's going to be as different as the seed and the oak. I mean, when you look at, this, at the acorn, you have no idea that it's going to produce a gigantic tree. When you see the, the seed, you don't know the vine that's going to come out of it. In the same way, God's body that he gives us, the resurrection work that he's going to do in us, it won't be a resuscitation. <laughs> it's going to be a recreation. A recreation. The only parts that are going to be rem the remain of this old particle body is our characters in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says, verse 51 to 53. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we'll all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. God's going to complete this project. He's going to finish it up. He's going to do that. He began it in the beginning. He already has a model in store waiting to bring out at the right time the hope of our resurrection, the new glorious deathless body that he will give us. 
are all based on one truth, Jesus Christ and his miraculous resurrection and the new body that he's been given, which is the type of our body that we will be given, Paul says. That's what he says, verse 49. And just as we become, we have borne the message of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Who's that heavenly man? Jesus Christ. That is the likes of which we will become. I'm not talking about becoming divine. Don't get me wrong. Not that at all. But just as we were born in the image of the old, the corruptible man, so we will be, bear the image of the incorruptible man, Jesus Christ. What a glorious day that will be. Verse 54, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying will be written, that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, what a day. Oh, what a day. Christ is risen. You didn't say it. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. You need a little prompting. Let's do it again. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That changes everything. Oh, for that great moment when heaven is unveiled and the Lord, the royal Lord, appears. Oh, for that day when the dead are raised and given new bodies. Oh, for that day when maybe we, still alive, will be transformed. Oh, for that day liberated from decay to share the freedom of glory that, had, that God has for us in Jesus Christ forever. That instant transformation will change everything. But the inner reality of who we are and what we are in Jesus Christ. Death, Paul says, swallowed up in victory. For a millennium, death has claimed victory. And the world at large has just kind of shrugged its shoulders and said, that's the way it is. But our message, the Christian message, is that God has already done a new thing. He's done a new thing in Jesus Christ. And he will do for us what he did for Jesus bringing new life by His Spirit's power. God wants to invite you to be a part of His photo album. <laughs> he wants you to, your picture to be there. He wants your story to be His story about His hope, His life. He wants your picture there today. Would you say yes to Him? I hear the sound 
of a mighty rushing wind, and it's closer now than it's ever been. I can almost hear the trumpet as Gabriel sounds the call at the midnight cry we'll be going home when Jesus steps out on the clouds that call his children Descend from heaven with a shout and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air to meet the Lord in the clouds, and thus we shall always be with our Lord. I look around me, I see prophecies fulfilled, and so. Times they're appearing everywhere. I can almost hear the Father.
midnight cry. Uh, This world is a challenging place, but with your help, with your strength and power, and with the hope we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the truth of his resurrection, his ascension, now his ministry in our behalf, we, we can make it, Lord, and we thank you. We thank you for the hope you give us. Thank you for the help you give us so that there's never a situation that is beyond the strength you give. And so today, Lord, we just want to give our hearts to you again and say we want to be in that group, that group that sees you coming and says, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. That's our prayer, and we thank you that we can say it and be sure of it in Jesus' name. Amen.